So today we continue in our teaching of 1 Corinthians. We come to chapter 4, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. We also have some placed underneath the seats uh, in front of you. Um, Go ahead and pull it out and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we're going to be working from, and 1 Corinthians is one of the letters in the New Testament, and if you need to use the table of contents in order to find it, there's no shame in doing that. Also, you can use your phone um, here at Sedaris if you're looking at your phone during church. We just assume that you're uh, reading the Bible. That's kind of how we roll around here. And so, um, yeah, feel free to use your phone to find 1 Corinthians, and um, yeah, it's, it's really great to continue to lean into uh, church in 2022, isn't it? I mean... Uh, each and every week, there are, are more new faces among us. It's great to see you. Welcome, if, if that's you. We're so happy that you're here checking us out. And here at Sedaris, it's really our rhythm to lean into a book of the Bible in this teaching time in the morning and kind of work through it over time. That's not to say that sometimes you don't take breaks to kind of uh, examine and teach on other things. Like on, uh, on Easter, for instance, we, we typically do a sermon on resurrection, for example. Kind of take it, uh, you know. But, um, but yeah, we, we love preaching through the books of the Bible here at Sedaris over the last seven years. We've done it with almost uh, two dozen, and uh, so there's 66, so we still have a few more to go, you know, so, but one day we're going to get there, so that's just kind of our goal. If you're, if you're new with us, that's kind of our style here on Sunday mornings, um, and presently we're in 1 Corinthians, um, and we're in the fourth chapter of it today, and, and we're in this letter. Uh, let me give you a little background of it just to bring you up to speed, um, because Paul actually started this church in the first century. He, he brought the good news of Jesus to uh, Corinth, which was a city on the sea in Greece. Probably uh, Dave's a lot uh, closer to Corinth right now than, than we are. And he brought the good news of Jesus uh, to, to Corinth. It was there that he met uh, a Jew named Aquila and his wife named Priscilla. Uh, so he met them there. They're actually from Rome. They got kicked out of Rome because Rome kicked out all the Jews. And, and Paul met them in Corinth. And it's unclear if Paul is actually the one that led these uh, Jew, the, the, the Aquila and Priscilla to faith in Jesus. Um, this is all recorded in Acts chapter 18. But if you read the book of Acts, Aquila and Priscilla become to be just this kind of uh, this first century Christian power couple in the church, okay? And so this is where Paul meets them. And then uh, Paul, they, they start the church. The, the Jewish synagogue leader um, puts his faith in Jesus, and so his whole household follows, but then the rest of the Jews uh, fight against uh, uh, Paul and, and Aquila and Priscilla. Um, and so they said, okay, well, we'll start bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, and then many, that's non-Jews, and then many non-Jews believe in Jesus. And so you have this early church that is uh, growing and young and successful, and Paul spent about a year and a half there before uh, leaving. And like I said, this is all in Acts chapter 18. He sails to Ephesus. He takes Aquila and Priscilla with him, and he leaves them there in the church of Ephesus to kind of lead in the church of Ephesus before he himself goes back down to Jerusalem. Now, enter into Ephesus this guy named Apollos, okay? Apollos is actually from Egypt. He's from Alexandria, and and he is a very, very gifted teacher, and and he shows up in Ephesus, and he comes into the synagogues, and he's teaching about the way of Jesus Christ, and and, and Aquila and Priscilla hear this, and they're like, oh, great. Here's another disciple of Jesus Christ. This is awesome, and there's this this really great line in there that says that Apollos gained great favor with everybody he spoke to. He's such a gifted and talented uh, teacher and preacher of the word of God that people are like, whoa, and they're really tracking with what he was saying. They're more and more interested in his words and what he had to say. Um, 
And, and so Aquila and Priscilla, it says here that they, they pull them, they pull Apollos after he's teaching one day into their house and um, explain the way of Jesus to him more accurately. Which is a, a funny little phrase. So uh, the subtext there is, while Apollos was a very gifted teacher, uh, he didn't quite have full perspective and understanding on everything God was up to and doing through the way of Jesus Christ. And so Aquila and Priscilla, this power couple in the first century, bring him into their home and they kind of set him straight a little bit. And it goes great. They, they actually lead in the church in Ephesus together for a long time. But then Apollos leaves Ephesus and he goes to a region called Achaia. Achaia, I think that's how, that's how you say it. And that's where Corinth is. That's where Corinth is. Okay, and, and that's why we are in this, uh, the first couple chapters in, in, in the book of Corinthians, Paul is speaking to this dynamic that emerged in Corinth, which is, and you, if you've been here for a while, you, you're probably uh, really getting over hearing this uh, tension described over and over again because we've been in it for about uh, almost three and a half chapters now. But today is the last time, okay? We're, we're wrapping up Paul's argument about this Apollos-Paul debate that emerged. You had the believers in Corinth uh, adhering and saying, Apollos, that's my guy. That's my guy. And then you had other people saying, oh, no, no, Paul, Paul, he was here first. Like, that's my guy. And then you had other people saying, no, Jesus. Like, you guys are being silly. I picked Jesus. That's, that's my guy. So <laughs> you have this Apollos camp, a Paul camp, this Jesus camp happening. And so all this is to remind you of what's going on in the letter we, Paul is speaking to, or going on in Corinth that Paul's speaking to, he's speaking to this tribalism that had emerged in this church. Uh, unfortunately, that, that was beginning to fracture the church, that was beginning to divide the church, and, and Paul's spoken to the, the different elements of what is, is fueling this tribalism, such, such as like a, a, the, like a, a misunderstanding of, of how godly wisdom truly works, a, a misunderstanding of, of what it, it really means to understand the mind of Christ. You know, we've been talking about that for the past couple chapters. And, and what's interesting is that Paul doesn't come right out and just say, knock it off, stop doing that. You know, there's like a piece of it was like, this could have been, in, in my eyes at least, I'm a very direct person. I don't know if you are. Uh, maybe some of you have experienced my directness sometimes. Um, in my eyes, you just kind of look at it and say, hey, knock it off, you know? And that's one verse, and now let's talk about other, uh, other stuff. But Paul's not content to do that there, here. What, what he's trying to do is he's trying to help them diagnose a misunderstanding of the gospel that's actually leading to this weird tribalism that's taking place there. And, and he knows that if he can correct that and he can get them to move in step with this peculiar wisdom and gospel of Christ, then this other thing will just fix itself. It's just what will really naturally follow. And, and today, we're in the conclusion of, of this part of it, like I said. And um, like any great conclusion, Paul's going to, he brings it all together in a really concise and, and clear way with a very clear action step for the Corinthians. It, it's so clear. And, and, and that's what's so great because um, it can be really clear for us as well. Really clear. Now, now, one of the main problems in, in our day is that, that many, many Christians uh, go um, around and, and through their, their lives, uh, their lives downcast. Uh, David uh, experienced this. King David experienced this often, being king of Israel. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul, he'll say. 
This is a a reality that the people of God experience over the course of of their lives at different times. Uh, They can be sad, they can be defeated, they can look at other Christian leaders or or read other Christian history and and all these biographies and say, look at all these people, they have great joy in their lives, but I have none. Look at they have, they experience an incredible peace, but I don't feel like I'm experiencing peace. That they're, they're using their these spiritual gifts they've been given in such miraculous ways, but but me, I, I don't really see that. Even the fruits of the spirit seem to be so evident in them, but me, I feel almost bankrupt with regards to that. Is, is that anybody's experience? Over the course of our lives, we'll experience this many, many, many times, and and this is a, a great tragedy. Not not only for their personal experience, our personal experience in those moments, it's miserable, right? But it's also a great tragedy because God hopes to work satisfaction and joy and life and peace and love in his believers so that others might see it and become curious and interested in what, what's going on here. What, there's something in your life that might not be in, in mine. And, and so um, this passage is going to help us with that. This passage is going to help us perhaps actualize the promises that we see in scriptures that are, are said to Christians actually come to fruit to bear in our lives in meaningful, real ways, not in just superficial ones. And, and so um, take heart. Take heart because one, you're not alone. And two, it's not uncommon. And, and three, that means that tons of Christians have written to it over the course of history, and even Paul is right here. And so there's some help for us here. And Paul's writing to this tension. He's going to bring up three subjects to really address it. I've, I've kind of, um, what I've done is I've generalized it from this little debate to kind of uh, step back a little bit so it can apply to all of us. And what we're going to see is him kind of speak to three subjects in the little debate that we can zoom out and apply uh, to all of us as well. And, and those three subjects are this, um, receiving, using, and imitating. Receiving, receiving, using, and imitating. All right, so we're just going to walk through those, those subjects today in this passage, and, and I'm going to read it now, and so you can even keep an eye out for where you see these subjects popping up, all right? So let's start in, in um, the big four. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Find that little 6. Um, now, brothers and sisters, Paul says, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, nothing beyond what is written. Dave talked about this a bit last week. Uh, the purpose is that none of you will be arrogant, favoring one person over another. For who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If in fact you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? It's kind of some rhetorical questions that he's that he's using here. You're already full. You are already rich. You have already begun to reign as kings without us, and I wish you did reign so that we could also reign with you. For I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished. We are dishonored. Up to this present hour, we're both hungry and thirsty. We're poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor, working with our hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we're like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. 
For you may have countless instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. So this is what Paul is presenting to them as a conclusion and a final charge. This is what this is to sum everything up what's going on and what you can do. So let's start with receiving. Paul really starts with receiving. It's right there in verse 7. What do you have that you did not receive, he'll say. If in fact you did receive it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? What's Paul talking about here? Well, he's actually um, been hinting at this and poking at this throughout the entire four chapters of the, the first four chapters of this letter. He's been poking at them, prodding at them, that there's this breakdown in what's going on from their understanding. He's reminding them of different things here and there that the believers in Corinth, they'd already received when they believed in Jesus. And now all these little pokes and reminders, uh, it becomes very clear why he was reminding them of that. Um, I'll I'll just go through the list of everything he's reminded them of up to this point. In in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, you are enriched in Christ in every way. You've received the riches of Christ in every way. At 1, verse 7, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. You've received all the spiritual gifts, is what he's saying. In, In the next verse, he says that God will strengthen them until the end. You have received strength from God to stand up against and under anything. And in 1 verse 30, he says they've received the wisdom of God via the person of Jesus Christ. They've received the very wisdom of God. And in 2 verse 12, he reminds them that, that this wisdom in all matters comes to them by the Holy Spirit who they have received. They had received the Holy Spirit, which in turn means, means, he says at the end of chapter 2, that we have received the mind of Christ. And by these means in chapter 3, he talks about how they had received growth from God. God makes it grow. He says, you've received growth from God. So he has this huge laundry list of of received items that God had given this Corinthian church. They they had been given and received the the riches of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the full wisdom of God, the mind of Christ, growth and strength to stand up under anything that the world, their flesh, or, or spiritual forces of darkness could throw at them. This is what Paul has been kind of poking and prodding them with the entire time. And he's doing this to highlight a disconnect a disconnect in their lives. And and this disconnect really continues throughout the letter as we move from one topic to the next to the next. Um, He's really making a a subtle point, which kind of goes like this. Uh, Really, a a church who has received all the riches of Christ is still focused on worldly riches. Uh, A a church and a people who has all the spiritual gifts isn't working together in, in unity. Someone with the wisdom and the mind of Christ is is up to what? Someone who has received strength to stand up under anything and everything is is licking their wounds in in a corner? What's going on here? There's a lack of moving in step with the peculiar wisdom of Christ and all the the gifts that, that the gospel of Christ has extended to his people. 
And so this is what Paul is talking about here. And, and we should be careful before we jump into judgment, especially with the first Corinthians, because this is the tension of the Christian life, is it not? We've all received these incredible gifts, but when we honestly examine our lives and how they might not reflect these incredible realities, we can often even go on to question if it's true ourselves. Like, really, did I actually receive all these gifts? Because my life doesn't look like I received all these gifts. How, how can that be true? What's wrong with me? This is actually really, really normal. I can't tell you how many times I, I've had to, and it's a wonderful conversation, it's kind of a really fun conversation, to talk new Christians back into faith. <laughs> Has anybody else had to do this? Don't worry, you're just experiencing what is normal. <laughs> Take heart, be courageous. The fact that you are struggling is actually indicative of that you have received these gifts, that you have the spirit within you that's poking you and prompting you to use them when you don't. It's actually normal. It's actually normal. You see, Paul isn't questioning whether they've been born of God or not. That's the big thing that we can take away in the whole letter to the Corinthians. They're struggling. They're not living into the realities that apparently they've been given. But Paul never says, did you really receive those things? No. No, he didn't. When people put their trust in Jesus and his message of grace for them, exemplified on the cross and, and the power of the resurrection, when, when they put their faith in that, a host of glorious things take place over the course of their lives. A host of them. And these are prophesied in, in the Old Testament. Prophet Ezekiel says, I'll put a new heart within your chest. Prophet Joel says, I'll put my spirit within you. This is, this is the plan all along that when people put their faith in Jesus Christ, that, that they receive an abundance of things. And, and Jesus talks about this as new birth. He has this conversation with a, a, a religious leader of his day called Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And, and Jesus is talking about this notion of being born again, and God, and Nicodemus is like, I'm not really tracking with what you're saying. And, and Jesus is saying, are you really a teacher of the scriptures and you don't understand this concept that is rife throughout them? That, that when we put our faith in God, that God actually has, a, a, he's going to extend a, an abundance of blessings and, and new things, real things into the believer's life? Do you not understand that, Nicodemus? The riches of Christ, new heart, new spirit, access to a new, a new mind and the wisdom of Christ. All these things are extended to the follower of Jesus at the point of conversion. And Jesus promises to sustain them till the end. That's what he says. He says, no one will be able to take them, grasp them, remove them from me in my hand. So what's the problem then? If, in fact, you did receive it, Paul says, why do you act as if you didn't receive it? Why, though you have the tools of the gospel, are you not moving in step with it? Because you're not using them. That's what Paul will say. You, you, you're not using them. You have a spirit of unity. Why is there disunity among you? You have the wisdom of God. Why are you judging human wisdom by human standards? If you have the mind of Christ, why are you so obsessed with the minds of Paul and, and, and Apollos? What's going on here in your midst? Why aren't you doing this? Because the riches of Christ and all of his blessings are collecting dust in the corner of your hearts. That's what Paul's saying to them. That's what he's telling them. Um, back when uh, Christy and I 
uh, lived in, in Denver. She worked for the Denver Rescue Mission um, for a year and a half. And it, it, the, it's pretty, the, the equivalent is for UGM here, the Union Gospel Mission here in the city. It's called the Denver Rescue Mission over there. And they, they work with homelessness, and, and they're the, 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 one of the primary ways that homeless are actually coming out of addiction and finding life in Christ, you know. Um, in, in Denver, but she worked for the wing of, of the Denver Rescue Mission that actually dealt with refugee placement, refugee placement, um, because um, the way that, if you didn't know this, refugee placement works in the United States, at least it did 10 years ago, is refugees would come, they'd get six months of expenses paid for them, and then after that, you're on your own uh, without any language. Uh, learning the language is hard enough, but actually, uh, in, in Denver, most of the refugees at that time were coming from Africa, from Eritrea and Somalia, actually. And, and learning how to do life in a new place is completely insane. There's, there's no open markets like there are there, and so you have to figure out how to use the grocery store, something very simple. And even before you do that, you have to learn how to navigate the transportation system here in the states, and, and before, you, just everything, there's a hundred different ways that we're growing up learning how to do life in the West, you know, that they need to be taught, but there's not much assistance, and so uh, Christy uh, worked with the team that would come alongside them and, and pair them with, with uh, typically small groups of people that would help them acclimatize to the United States. But, but here's one of the things that the Denver Rescue Mission uh, f- would find that was so common. It was, it was almost every, every refugee's story that would come. Um, when you'd send a group to, into uh, their home to have fellowship with them and, and get to know them, hopefully through a translator, often not. And so it just was, looked like hanging out, um, which was great, by the way. It's a lot better than you think it is. Dave's really having a great time over there, even though he can't talk to a lot of people. Don't worry about Dave. He loves talking, but I'm sure he's having a great time. Um, but when you're in their midst, um, what, what they would find is their ovens were being used as storage. And, and same with the dishwasher, being used as storage because they didn't know how to use these. They'd never encountered them before in their life. Uh, you'll talk to someone and say, yeah, I turned the, the stovetop on for the first time and, and it almost started a fire, so I was like, I'm not gonna use that again. And so they'd come in and they'd find uh, butane camp stoves on the floor of the kitchens and all, none of the appliances actually being used. They had received these, the, I guess you could say, the blessings of, Western, of a Western kitchen, but they were unable to use them. They are unable to use them that's the Corinthian condition. That's often our condition. We, we tend to, to leave the riches of Christ collecting dust and cobwebs in the corner of our hearts. So, so what's the first step to using these things? Well, um, Paul began this, session, or this section of Scripture talking about how he has applied these things to Apollos and myself for your benefit so you could figure out how to use the riches of God that, that you've been given. That's kind of what he's saying. He said, instead of arrogantly saying over, over one another, I follow Paul, I follow Paulos, that makes me better Christian than you, Paul's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We both teach the same way, so to say I follow this guy over that guy is kind of nonsensical. It's indicative of some other twisted desire that you have. And, and it's this twisted desire that is to take our strengths and attach them to yourselves in order to bolster your image among one another, your worth, your value. You're taking us to bolster your value over one another. That's so strange. He's saying, you guys have an identity problem that's going on here. There's an identity problem that's taking place here. Because at the end of the day, God is the field. We're just the field hands. He just used these four metaphors. God is the foundation. We're just the builders. God's the master. We're just the servants. And God's the business owner. We're just the managers. 
we're just middlemen, is what he's trying to tell them. He's like, we're just the middlemen. We're like, what's the value in attaching us to you? Who, I mean, middlemen are kind of obnoxious, right? I know we love, you know, the office, Scranton Paper Company, but it's just middlemen at the end of the day, you know? Sometimes, it's just, we're just middlemen. What is a servant without a master? What is a builder without a foundation? No matter how good the builder is and how hard he works, without a foundation, that thing's going to fall right over. Why do you boast in us? Shouldn't you boast in God? Paul's saying. So most directly, the application for us here is, is are you prone to identify with present-day Christian teachers because it makes you look better, like a, look like a better Christian to other Christians? You know, we, we talked about that plenty. Uh, some struggle with that. Not, not all of us. Uh, struggle with that at all. Um, but a, a more broad application is to step back and really consider identity in general. Why do we look to boast in things, take things, attach them to ourselves so that we can gain worth and, and value in the sight of others in this, like, like to feel better about ourselves? Why do we lean on other things in life for our worth and our value? It's possible to do this with even good things. Paul and Apollos, they're God's gift to them, but they're taking God's gift and using it to boast and and make themselves look better in in the world. We we, we do this with good things all the time. Uh, The good things God's given us, um, instead of that list of items that Paul says, we've received in Christ. We we do it with our our jobs, which is to say, if people questioned your contribution to society, would you say, no, I have a huge contribution to society. Look at my work. Look, look how much I accomplished in the world. Like, that's like, I'm a great worker. I'm doing stuff. We are physical things we attach to ourselves to, to give us worth and value in life. Look at the car I have, the things I have, the house I live in, the places I go, the experiences I have. We, we can collect things and experiences. You know, we attach ourselves to experiences to feel better about ourselves. We do the same with our relationships. Look at the powerful connections I have. Look at the cool people I hang out with. Look at the spouse I have. Look at the children I have and what they've accomplished in the, in the world. We, we attach ourselves to people to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. Paul says, why are you boasting in those things? And, and the list could go on and on and on, but what is it indicative of? Like, like what does it actually point at? It points at a lack of contentment in Christ. Paul is saying here, why isn't Christ enough? Why is that not enough for you? It's probably because of their cultural setting. Um, um, it really, uh, Corinth sat really close to Athens, which is the intellectual capital of the Greco- Greco-Roman world. And so you had people who would come into Corinth and, and they would express these new ideas and philosophies. And, and the culture of the day, everyone had their teachers. I follow this person, I follow that person same thing started happening in the church. It's probably a, a cultural world thing that they had, they, that's all they had ever really known. They've been doing it for years and years and years. Why wouldn't they do the same thing with the teachers of Christ? And Paul's saying, no, Christ is altogether different than that. And this is also why we perhaps struggle with this even more than the Corinthians the president of, of a, a very popular seminary here in the United States uh, said, uh, I pulled a little quote from him, which is just great. He says this, American culture is an organized assault on contentedness. American culture is an organized assault on contentedness. It's organized. 
Every aspect of society is, is communicating to you that your job could be better, your pay could be better, your car could be better, your living situation could be better, your relationships could be better, your community could be better, your life could be more convenient, your life could be prettier, happier, more satisfactory. This is what we're bombarded with all day, every day. This is one of the reasons why it's, it's a good idea to take a step away from social media, not because connecting with people is, is bad, but because there's so many messages that you're just bombarded with constantly that say, you're not good enough. You need this X, Y, or Z in order to be there every single day, all day. You're not enough. You need this to be complete. That, that, that's what we're, it's a constant barrage that we go through not just on our minds, but, but on our bodies and on our souls. It comes at us from just all angles. Um, how, do you, how do you know if you've fallen prey to this assault? Um, in the one sense, we could lean into and try to identify things in our lives that we think we might be leaning on to or attaching to ourselves. And that's, the, that's a very natural incl- inclination, and, and that can be helpful. There's actually a more profound thing that Paul's suggesting here. He's actually saying start with what you've received and see if that might push out these other things that you're attaching yourselves to. That's why he's not content to just say, cut it out and move on. He's trying to say, attach yourselves to these things. Grasp and hold and and handle the riches of Christ in your life and and the spirit. Do that instead. That's actually where you're going to find the power for these other things to cut these other things off that you've attached yourself to. Now, how can you know if you're using them or not? That, that becomes the question, right? Like, how can I know if I'm actually leaning into this? Well, here's just a couple examples. There's, there's tons of statements that we could put in here, but if you find yourself thinking that it would be easier if Jesus was here to navigate your life, you're not leaning into the reality of the Spirit because that's the Spirit of Christ. That's the Spirit of Christ that you've received. Um, if, if your sin doesn't actually bother you at all in your life, you're not using the peculiar wisdom of Christ that you've received. If you find yourself woodenly adhering to everything just a particular teacher says without considering it in more depth, you're not acting as if you've received the mind of Christ. If, if you feel crushed and defeated, you're not leaning into it and you're not using the strength of God that you've received. You see, it's one thing to look at the existential problems in our life and try to identify the bad things that we're up to. That's fine. But it's another thing to identify the existential issues that are going on in our life and ask why we're not using this and leaning into the solution for those things. And that's what Paul is asking us to do. So the question really becomes then, what's the way forward? Like, how can we do that well? Well, just like a a refugee family learning how to use their appliances, we need helpers. We need helpers in this life. And and that's exactly why Paul goes on to talk about that. Talk about what it means to imitate. He says, imitate me. You need helpers. Now, now this call to imitate, this is something that Paul communicated all the time to the churches. Um, he said it so many times in the scriptures, and it's, it's kind of a strange thing that we can 
kind of misunderstand, but he, said it, he says it here in chapter 4. He'll say it again to the Corinthians. And in chapter, in chapter 11, he tells the Philippian church this. In Philippians chapter 4, he tells the Thessalonian church this. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he commends Titus for doing it. He commends Timothy for doing it. Um, he tells Timothy when he goes to the church to tell the people he's leading to imitate Timothy himself. You know, like this is a big concept in Paul's mind. It's, it's throughout like a ton of his letters, which means he was probably talking about it all the time as well, everywhere he went. So it's a crucial part of what it means to be a Christian. And so let's read it together and let's just admit that this is a little bit hard to do because like we don't, we're not around Paul that much, right? <laughs> and so how can we actually begin to apply this notion of, of imitating in our own lives. So let's look at it together here in verses 9 through 13. He starts out by this, uh, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. This verse is fascinating because um, what uh, the Roman emperors would do after they would win uh, significant battles is um, they would uh, parade back through Rome, and at the very end were the, the captive war, uh, the, the, the captive like uh, soldiers that had surrendered, and they would be bringing them back into Rome, and they would go to the Colosseum, and they would be uh, forced to fight to the death. So Paul's saying, we're kind of like those guys, that, that we've been conquered and being marched back to our death, not just like any death, but kind of like this crazy public spectacle that people get a thrill out of. This is what Paul feels like, uh, like he's going through in the world, and this is pretty intense, but he's like, I've experienced tons of beatings, I've been, I've been stoned. He talks about all these sufferings that he's gone through in his life. Um, we are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, we're dishonored. Up to the present hour, we're both hungry, thirsty, poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor working with our own hands. He's a tent maker, right? So he's, he's funding his gospel work by, by his own tent making. Uh, when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we're like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. Um, he's saying to them, like, why are you really going to this level of depth? He's saying, you claim to follow us as your teachers, but why do your lives look so different then? Why are they so different? Do do, do you see that? You're claiming our teachings, but you aren't walking in our ways. You aren't walking in our ways. He's highlighting their their self-deception here. Now, now he's not saying that they exactly need to suffer in all the same ways that, 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 that him and the other apostles have been suffering. No, God determines the amount of suffering for each person. But he's just calling into question, like, it's a little strange that, that even though you claim us as teachers, while we humble ourselves in the, in, like, before the, the world, like these are people who aren't Christians, like when we're reviled, we bless, um, that in the church, you guys are pridefully asserting yourselves over one another. Like, like, it's a huge disconnect here. It's a huge disconnect. Like, how, like, what's going on here? We're out here carrying our crosses, and you guys are just, like, trying to do this, like, one-upsmanship over each other? Like, what, what is going on? You're doing the exact opposite of our ways. You're holding to our teaching, but acting oppositely? What gives? And so he reminds them of this. I'm your father in the faith. 
I led you to Jesus Christ. You, you can trust me not just for my teachings, but for my teachings fleshed out because it led to fruit. You guys are my fruit. You can trust my ways, not just my teachings. So if you want to have fruit in your life, imitate how my teachings translate into ways. This is what he says in, in verse 17. It's really clear. He says, this is why, well, 16, therefore I urge you to imitate me. This is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly and loved and faithful child in the Lord. What, what is he going to do? He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. He will remind you of my ways. So the natural question here is, what are those? <laughs> what are the ways? Like, what is Paul actually asking them to imitate? Um, well, let's start with the who real quick. Um, well, let's start with the what. There is something deeper and different than teaching, friends, like, than just like doctrine that Paul's leaning on here. He's talking about uh, lifestyle choices. He, he's talking about ways that, that people orient their lives. He's talking about decisions that, that they make around, around what's valuable to them, what's important to them, what they pursue, how they order their days, how they order their relationships, how, do they, or, how they order their lives. There's like all this part of what it means to be a Christian in life, right, that, that isn't like written in this Bible at all. You can't find teaching on it. Like how do you go d- downtown Seattle in the 21st century? You're not going to find much teaching here, but you're going to need some ways, some ways to do that. And Paul says you find out those ways from people. Paul says, your spiritual father. I'm your spiritual father. Your spiritual father and mother. Look to them for your ways because if there's anything you can trust, you can trust them. They're, they're followers of Jesus that are making more followers of Jesus. You can, you can trust them. You can trust them. Your fathers and mothers that have done that, they're disciples making disciples. Their ways should be considered. Draw close to them. Ask them questions about how you might imitate, like what are they up to in their life so that you might order your life maybe in similar ways that they have. And so who, who are these people in our lives then? Because we're obviously not around Paul. We don't really have a lot of context into Paul's ways, although we have a little bit of it in the book of Acts. We can read the book of Acts. Um, this is a simple question for some to answer and a difficult question for others to answer. I'll just, I'll, I'll say that first. And so if this spins you into an existential angst of like, oh shoot, who is my spirit, like my spiritual father or mother in Christ, don't worry. Just, just push that to the side. At the end, what we're going to see is how Jesus Christ is all of our spiritual father and mother in Christ when it comes to imitation of ways. Okay, so we have the good, our good father in heaven, and then uh, God comes down in the form of Jesus Christ, and what we actually see is he has a lot of ways for us. Um, so let's start with, with the, the simple piece then. Um, most simply, this could be the person who led you to Christ. Um, if you came to know uh, Christ when, you know, uh, and you were in college or after, I would probably say, through a relational ministry mode, meaning there's someone who kind of walked along with you and was willing to have all these conversations with you, that all your que- handle all of your questions for Christ and, and what that means and, and all your objections and considerations, like, that's a spiritual father or mother in Christ. That, that you can look to them, you can give them a call this afternoon, hopefully, and ask them, hey, how do you order your life? And you can begin to try some of the same things. 
Now, you can ask some questions like, how do you go about your days? How does your relationships work? How do you relate to, to recreating in life? Like, how, how do you relate to leisure? What's your disposition towards the local church? How do you spend time with God, your spouse, children? See, even though there, there will be many, many other teachers throughout the course of your life, your spiritual father and mother should always be that person you can look to and ask questions of imitation. Um, now, the, the difficult question that, that is the reality for, for some of us that I want to acknowledge as well is what if my father or mother in Christ um, is no longer a Christian? It's, it's, it's a really sad, sad reality and one that is completely lamentable, but, but what do we do here? Um, there's so many points. That's probably its, its own, I mean, that, that's a big movement of another sermon. But one thing that I will say is take heart because when a, a, a father or a mother leads someone to Christ, when one person leads someone else to Christ, um, they're actually giving them faith, not in them per se, but in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when someone leads you to Christ, if they do it in the right way, um, um, you're not tied to them. So if, if they walk away from the faith, you don't have to walk away. You're not, you're not tied to them. When they give you the gospel of Jesus, they tie you to, to Christ. And Christ ain't ever going down. He'll always hold you up. And so even though you, they might go down, Christ will always, you're tied to Christ. You're tied to Christ. Now, if you do find yourself going down, maybe you were tied to them. It's time to reconsider what the message of Jesus is because you may not have been tied to Christ. So that, it, but it, it's really good to evaluate this possibility um, because honestly, anyone who you might feel called to imitate in this life, they're human. They're sinful. They're fallen. They're very fallen. All of, any spiritual father or mother is going to have areas of their life that you're not going to want to imitate. All of us are broken. All of us are broken, and, 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 and all of us are fallen, and, and we all struggle in life. And, and we have a beautiful solution. We have a beautiful solution when it comes to imitation, friends, because we have something that the first Corinthians didn't have, which is why Paul really had to stress this for them in ways that we might not necessarily have to stress it for ourselves. We have the Gospels. We have the, the Corinthian church, they, they weren't reading the scriptures yet. They only had the Old Testament scriptures. They didn't have the, the, the teaching of God fleshed out in gospel ways quite yet, in the scriptures at least. They just had the apostles. That's part of why we say the faith is ap- apostolic. The, uh, the apostles were translating what, what the ways of following Jesus looked like for the early church. And, and in their writings, we can actually learn a lot about their ways as well and, and lean into those and imitate those. And they pass along the good teaching as well of Christ. Um, <clears throat> but we have the New Testament. We have the Gospels. We even have the book of Acts, which recounts Peter and Paul. We have the writings of James and John. We can look for ways. And, and here's the thing. When you're looking for ways, you have to come to the scriptures really, really, uh, well, not really different, but a, uh, you have to be a little bit, you have to take a different tack when you come to the scriptures looking for ways. Um, you can go to the Gospel of Matthew, for instance, and, and you can say, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to learn about Jesus. And, and so what is he trying to say in this parable? You're actually learning teaching, Jesus' teaching at that point, which is really, really good and so robust and beautiful and wonderful. You're learning about Jesus' teaching. That's great. 
Uh, or you can say, what is Jesus trying to say in this Sermon on the Mount or in his other big sermon sections in, in the Gospel of Matthew? You're leaning into his teaching. But what Jesus does throughout the Gospels is just as important as what he taught. What he does through the Gospels is just as important as what he taught. And that's what we can lean into imitating. It's not exactly teaching, it's not exactly doctrine, but it's, it's the Jesus way. It's the Jesus way. We've tried to codify some of those here at Sedaris in what we call the 14 principles. It's not doctrine or teaching per se, but it's their ways. Their ways. Why did Jesus stop in the middle of the road to have a conversation with a woman that he had already healed when there was someone dying that he was on the way to go heal? Why did he stop and have that conversation while that person died? Because he had a different watch. Principle four. You see, you look at what Jesus is doing in there. Why, when walking through crowds at one point, did he point up at this little man in the tree, Zacchaeus, and say, I'm coming to your house? Because he engages each one. Principle seven. Why, why when Jesus told his disciples that, hey, we got to go and raise Lazarus from the dead, why, when he showed up, did he weep and mourn with the people who are weeping and mourning, even though he knew, I'm going to raise this guy from the dead? It's principle nine. He was leading with lament. He's leading with lament. Why does, was his teaching style so different from the rabbis of his day? The rabbis of, of his day, they would have disciples. The rabbi would go do the ministry. The disciples would watch, and, and, and one day the rabbi would go away, and then they'd, all kind of, they'd kind of multiply rabbis that way in the world. Why was Jesus always giving his disciples significant ministry, sending them out two by two to go cast out demons? Why was he the one, like, he was having them be the ones baptize people? Because principle 14, Jesus was trying to build a bridge to the next generation. You see, see, when you read the gospel for what Jesus does, it's just as important as what he teaches, and those are the things that we can lean into when it comes to imitating, imitating Christ. Yeah. So if, if you're in that existential torment, take heart. Christ is for you. Christ is for all of us. At the end of the day, we can look to the teachings of Christ and help one another out, talk about Jesus' ways, not just his teaching. And read your New, New Testament, read through these 14 principles. Maybe you can find some more principles. We're, we're always open to more principles. So if you find a principle, shoot it our, our way. Maybe it'll go up there, you know? Jesus lived this perfect life under God, which means he actively, perfectly, beautifully illustrated these ways for us, not just taught perfectly, because he had received them from the Father. And, and here's what's really wonderful about this. If, if you're the least bit excited about this, it's because you've received the Holy Spirit and he's within you and he wants to lean into it as well. He wants to start imitating Christ. The Spirit always does what he sees the Son doing. He, he seeks to glorify Jesus Christ and his teaching and his ways into the world. He longs to help you consider those ways and imitate Christ so that we can begin to take the pile of riches in our hearts and actually apply them and use them in our lives and in the world. It's to that end that, that he encourages us, that he empowers us. There's no condemnation when we fall short, only grace and an invitation to lean in to try again. 
and by the power of the Spirit and, and the example of Christ, the, the love of God, what he's doing is he's turning us into his workmanship. Little people that represent God and the world doing his ways. I'm gonna close with a passage of scripture that I actually hadn't planned on reading today until Laura brought it into our prayer circle. Um, this morning, all, all the servers on a Sunday, we, we gather together and, and we pray. And Laura led us in some, some reading of the word and it's in Ephesians 2. Um, this is another place that beautifully, where Paul is beautifully talking about this, weighing the tensions of like, why are you boasting in other things? It's all about Christ and using the things that he's given us to glorify him. And so Ephesians 2, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace, he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Do you see all this language which is, this has happened, you have received this, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. He's so good. This is what God is up to in our midst. This is what Jesus died on the cross and rose again to gift us with the Holy Spirit that we might lean into and use these gifts in our worlds to bless one another and to bless the world. 